Honoring the Yin. That's the name of today's little weed transmission, Honoring the Yin. And I want to talk today from a TCM, traditional Chinese medicinal perspective, about the yin energy of winter and how that relates to preserving yang. Yang, of course, would be more of the warm or the summer months, but here where I am in the Northeast, it's cold. It's in the 30s. It just snowed yesterday. Of course, right now I may not know that because I'm sitting in the sauna where it's over 100 degrees, which is such a nice thing to have in this very cold kind of dreary weather. It gives a good a good balance and it's good for draining dampness from the body, which is something that is easy to have occur in times of stress, um, in times of just living with these dietary psyops that I think everyone has fallen prey to at least some little bit, or if you grew up on the sad diet, which most people did. So let's talk about ways to honor the yin, but first let's talk about what's meant by yin. So what is meant by yin? So it has to do with this balance of yin and yang. So in the Tao Te Ching, um, much of it has to do with the contemplation of the nature of the opposite poles of energy in the universe, which the Chinese call yin and yang. Yin refers to that which is cold and slow and inactive, dark, sticky, viscous, deep, damp, and earthy. Yang is that which is hot, high, heavenly, light, dry, and active. These two forces interact dynamically, ceaselessly, and to borrow from the Vedic tradition, they are like Shiva and Shakti locked in the internal embrace. So last time we were talking about how certain times we would use different words to describe something in TCM, as we call in Ayurveda, we were talking about how dampness in TCM would be the kapha dosha in Ayurveda. In TCM, the yin and yang in the Vedic tradition of Ayurveda would be Shiva and Shakti. So how can we honor this yin time, uh, this winter time of yin? So the winter time is a time to preserve and protect the yang energy. It's a time to allow ourselves to fall back into our safety of deep rest and restoration. So it would make sense that things would slow down at this time of the year, as opposed to in the summer when it's more active, there's more things going on, there's more hours of light. So during the downtime of winter, our roots are nurtured and our energy is refueled. Winter gives us permission to enjoy the much needed reprieve from all the activity of the prior seasons, especially all the, the holiday stuff, right? It's a real opportunity to check in and tend to things a bit closer to home. So winter, like we said, uh, is the pinnacle of yin, and darkness and cold and slowness and inward energy. This is all feminine stuff. And then we have the yang, which is the masculine. So this is why we must protect the yang, that spark of light and warmth. Summer represents ultimate yang, warmth, movement, expansive qualities. During the summer season, we alternately must protect the yin. The coziness of wintertime calls for more things like self-reflection, quiet time, reading and writing, meditating, and other soul-nourishing activities. Winter is a time to slow down and feed ourselves on a spiritual and a physical perspective. So the water element, there's like five elements in the TCM um, theory, philosophy. The water element is associated with winter. And we have themes like uh, sensitive, emotional, changeable, receptive, empathetic, connected to everything, open, indomitable, imaginative, 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 um, reflective, mutable, timeless, mysterious, and strong. If we think about 
the tropical zodiac, those are some of the characteristics of someone who is a water sign, Cancer, Pisces, Scorpio. Winter embodies the water element. Uh, and winter symbolizes both life and death. It is the womb from which all life emerges and the abyss to which it returns. Much like when we dip into the ocean and suspend ourselves in the river, these ritual baths engender birth. It's a timeless suspension, peaceful. It's a death of individuality and the merging with oneness. The dream space also is where ideas are born and our water years, when we're talking about that from the perspective of our life, the water years of someone's life are thought to be the menopausal years, which contain wisdom distilled from all of our life's experiences. And we know in this Zio-Sludge society, oftentimes when a woman is over a certain age, they're considered to be no longer useful, no longer hot, right? That's what we're, we see in this sludge society. And it's kind of mind-zoggling that people would think that we live in this gynocentric society because if we really did, we wouldn't have this disdain for uh, crones. We also wouldn't have a lot of the homosexuality and transsexuality that we have. And I don't really like the idea of a gynocentric society. That sounds kind of uh, imbalanced, if you will. But let's say we had something that was more balanced, like a society that was based on meritocracy or even a society that was matriarchal, you can guarantee that even in a matriarchal society, men would be 100% more masculine as a whole as they are now. I mean, I look around and I see a lot of young men, millennial, Zoomer, look terrible compared to men who are Gen X or even, even Boomer. And that's the result of living in this Zio sludge, patriarchal, Talmudiarchal society if we had a society where things were balanced and it was centered around what it's supposed to be centered around, we would have more masculine men and we'd have more feminine women. So water teaches us about shape-shifting, adaptability, depth, change, creativity, rest, and reflection through our lived experiences and hardships and triumphs. Our wisdom serves to nourish the deepest aspects of ourselves. We learn to change and adapt with ease. Wisdom is held in our bones, and life teaches us to breathe from the deepest, most truthful parts of ourselves. The beautiful thing about water is its cyclical nature, just like us. So what are some ways that one could connect to their water element? And you don't have to be a woman in menopause to connect to your water element. This is for everybody. You can listen deeply to another human. You can have a day with no schedule and no rush, which is really nice on these winter days. You can take a moment to hug a human who's important to you. You can be around large bodies of water. It's kind of groovy to take a, a walk on the beach when it's cold like this. It has a certain different kind of feel of energy. Or you can submerge or dip your body into water. Or you can even do something like take a bath, right? Or even soaking your feet or something like that. So during the winter, it's a very important time to nourish our kidneys and of course, in a lot of the allopathic stuff, they're focusing on the heart, maybe a little bit on the liver, but the kidneys don't get a lot of play unless, of course, someone is on dialysis or needs a, another kidney for a transplant, right? So in this winter time of yin, it's important to nourish our kidneys, which hold the body's most basic and fundamental substance, what they call jing and TCM, what we would call essence. Our kidney organs and meridian represent the water element within, along with the urinary bladder. 
in the dark hours of winter, storage is vital. After the young seasons of activity, we are able to rest and heal, storing and protecting our Jing essence. We are cultivating our fire within so that yang can be born out of yin again. So we see the two yin and yang working together, just like Shakti and Shiva in the Vedic tradition. And then when we do this, we'll have them fully restored for the springtime. And I think we have spring uh, 18 days from now. I think uh, March 20th is the first day of spring, the uh, spring equinox, right? So today's the second, so we have 18 days officially for spring. So nature can teach us how to commune with our deepest potential during the winter slumber. Kidney ki, which would be energy, prana, vril, is heightened during the winter months and is primarily responsible for the conservation of jing, one's essence or vitality, the energetic resource necessary for growth, development, and reproductive functioning. Protecting and hiding our jin, jing essence in winter months prevents us from illness in the spring time. So a bit about Jing, and of course in TCM we have the Jing, the essence, we have the Qi, the energy, and we have the Shen, the spirit. So you were made of essence as a human. In Chinese medicine they call it Jing. So for ladies who are cycling, Jing cycles every seven years. It's considered to be a concentrative creative power that has passed through our ancestors and parents through egg and sperm, through our DNA. Our Jing acts as our reserves of energy and is related to our hormonal and reproductive functioning. The quality and quantity of our Jing dictate our ability to manifest in this world. Menstrual blood and sperm are manifestations of the Jing essence. When we menstruate, we lose a little Jing. This is why there is so much emphasis on caring for ourselves during the inner winter of the bleeding phase. And that phase of the menstrual cycle is considered to be the winter phase, the blood phase. During the Earth's winter season, our Jing congeals and concentrates. We can align this with the natural drawdown and inwards by reserving our energies and taking more time to do rest. Jing is stored in our kidney and adrenal systems. We want to be cautious of pulling too much from these reserves and borrowing from our own wells of health and longevity. Think of your Jing essence and the kidney adrenals as your savings account that you will be living off of for the rest of your life. And I think this somewhat relates in the Ayurvedic context to what they call prakiti, where we have a certain amount of Jing that we get from our parents, our constitution, which is kind of just determined by what was eaten during gestation, um, where the parents were at before conception, all that stuff from your early years. And then we have kind of the constitution that we, I guess, essentially give ourselves by our thoughts, our emotions, our lifestyle, our choices in relationship. So think of your kidneys and your adrenals as a savings account that you're going to be living off for the rest of your life. So if you deplete that, you're not going to be able to get that savings account back. So that's why utilizing stimulants is not good for your Jing essence, which is why Big Z promotes the utilization of stimulants. So what are the emotions of the wintertime? Fear is the emotion of winter and the water element because of the dark, cold months are about survival. Think about our ancestors, very different than how we live today. In TCM, the inherent purpose of the kidney is to store or contain 
A balanced kidney key within us keeps us alert to our surroundings, prompts us to act and keeps us safe. So think about all the fear and all the kidney jing that Big Z harvested during Oyed AI, and they're still harvesting. I see all the sludge stories they're promoting on the Google News talking about some antibiotic bacteria um, that's going to get everybody talking about um, RSV, that there's a vaccination coming for RSV. This RSV thing is caused by vaccination, and the bacteria thing is probably caused by some some deleterious, um, quote, treatment, or the whole thing is just um, a hoax. When we are in imbalanced, fear can manifest in a variety of ways. Well, of course. Whenever fear tries to focus our energy on what is missing in our lives, we can divert our energy to what is abundant. Another way they control things is via diversions. Remember, diversions is how they control. And there are so many diversions out there. And sometimes I see a trend where people want to think that certain of these diversions, like maybe the ones that are racial, well, these have to be true, right? But the other ones are fake. These are all diversions. What do you have that you are grateful for right now? Think about that as opposed to thinking about some sludge media story. It's healing to first acknowledge our fear. It has lessons that could teach us. Another beautiful way to work with fear is to do your best to think and to be in the present, to be here now, instead of thinking too much about the future or the past. When we anchor into the present moment, we can tap into our infinite source of peace. And this is what meditation essentially trains us to do. And I think when we are caught up in these diversions, we're caught up in the utilization of stimulants, it keeps us either waxing about the past or looking forward to the future without ever enjoying this moment right here. And this moment is all you have at this point, right? So wouldn't it be nice to enjoy this moment in a clear-headed, non-diverted way? I think so. So as we said prior, a little earlier, that menstruation is the dark moon time. It's our inner winter, if we think of our cycle as the four seasons, if we're a cycling lady. During the first few days of our bleed, our hormones are at the lowest they will be at our cycle. That's true of estrogen and progesterone. They both drop off when we start to bleed. This is a necessary pause at, at empty and um, at an empty and a moment of quiet when the internal conversation is usually happening with our endocrine system on pause. This mirrors the quietude and the stillness of the winter and can often be a reprieve from the hormonal fluctuation of the rest of the cycle. So I know not everyone's work schedule or life schedule allows them to spend restful time, but the best you can, it's always good to take rest during this time, especially if you're dealing with some type of um, ailment stumbling block or irregularity with your cycle, you want to take this time to rest, to relax, to not overstimulate with, you know, news stories, to not adrenalize yourself with stimulants. Just as the death of winter is essential to the rebirth of spring, Satanama, this menstrual shedding is a necessary period for resting and releasing, which makes space for the creativity and the vitality that is to come. Self-care in winter can teach us a lot about our bodies and how we want to be cared for while we bleed. Warmth, slowness, slowness, rest, and nervous system nourishment. 
Just like the Earth's winter phase, our own inner winter of bleeding can be an opportunity for stripping away distractions and diversions and getting to the core of our inner wisdom. And I know for myself, I usually get pretty groovy ideas. I mean, I get groovy ideas in general, but I tend to get more inner wisdom, groovy ideas around this time. In the last two cycles, I've been doing this thing where I've been writing out a list of goals, things I want to change, things I want to work on, things I want to kind of transmutate during the day of the bleed, which is the heaviest, which is usually day two. This truth can come in many ways. And what's important is that we make space to listen, reflect, and be that voice. So how can we do that if we're on anti-social media or watching Zio Sludge News all the time? Actually, this cycle, for the first time, I think, ever, I did this thing where I turned off my mobile device and I didn't see anybody or have any conversation with anyone for the entire day. And I just spent the whole day on my own, doing my own thing. And it was a very nice time to really think, right? Our bleeding bodies also need extra tenderness and care when we are bleeding, just like in the winter. So think about things like broths and slow-cooked foods, warm foods, foods that are easy on the system that it can support us through this sacred and healthy release process. And something else I should say too, you should not dread your period. I know that this society has taught us to dread it, to cover it up, to pretend it's not happening. And that is really a very uh, foul and deeply misogynistic way to think about the creativity and the power that our bodies have. So this is a time to reflect on the power that you have. I mean, nobody would be here alive listening to this clip if it wasn't for a period. So this is not a thing to dread or to hate. And the more chance if you dread and hate it, the more of chance you're going to have problems with it. You're going to have problems with, with pain or, you know, sore breasts or a bloated belly or a headache or any of these problems that are often considered PMS. So this is a time to look forward to, to embrace, to say, oh, I get to eat that great stew. I get to relax on the couch. I get to put a hot water bottle on my belly. Like this is something to kind of, if in a way it's kind of like a mini postpartum because, you know, after a baby is born, you spend that time resting oftentimes in the, in the Chinese system and in other systems, they have what's called confinement care where 40 days after the baby is born, you don't leave the house, you eat warming foods, uh, you, you keep your baby on your chest, like you, you keep in this, in this way so you honor this sacred time by eating a lot of the similar foods you'd be eating during the period time. And you can also make these foods during a time in your cycle when you have more energy. So during the follicular or ovulatory phase, make some stuff and freeze it, make an oxtail stew, make a pork cheek stew, make something that's got a lot of gelatin that's very nourishing, make some chicken soup, make some congee, which you can take um, chicken broth and cook rice or millet until it gets really, really soft. Have that with some soft boiled eggs or some egg custard. Be kind to yourself and enjoy tasty foods. And keep in mind, a lot of these foods, you're not going to be finding recipes on the trendy uh, websites like Pinterest or Instagroid or YouTube. You're not going to be seeing them on restaurant menus. You're going to have to get old books and find these recipes. And now a little bit about embodying the crone. We just talked about the menstrual period. And of course, that's just one phase of a woman's life. Now let's talk about the crone. The crone is all about going inward and connecting to our visions and our dreams. As the outer shell and the body ages, the soul ripens. 
What we lose and allow to die creates fertile soil to create something new. The blood no longer sheds and leaves the body. We retain it and we concentrate it and use this newfound circulating energy towards manifesting our birth into our second spring. Our intuition grows even stronger as we use wisdom to manage our energy in the most efficient ways. The crone embodies our return to the wombi waters as a means to lean into the deep, nourishing rest, release, and renewal. We allow the death of many parts of ourselves so we can come into the second half of our life reborn. And even if you're not cycling or bleeding anymore, you can still sync your cycle by choosing the days you need to rest on through the understanding and active and quieter parts of the moon cycle and how you feel through them. So you can take the full moon and maybe you can say, oh, that's going to be the time when I'm going to make it my time to rest. Like when I, when the person or the woman used to have her bleed, she can use the moon, the full moon as her resting time, or she can use the new moon, depending. I mean, women can bleed on the full moon, the new moon, um, a half moon, you know, the waxing or the waning moon. It can go, you can go any way you want it to go, but you can still set that cycle whether you're in the bleeding years or not. And I think this is really important to honor, especially when this, quote, gynocentric, just kidding, Talmudiarchy um, or Talmudiarchical society gets more misogynistic by the day. It's a quiet act of power to sink ourselves to something natural and feminine and yin, like the moon. I mean, we have so many assaults on the female body going back to think about the advent of the birth control pill in the 60s. I believe the first generation of birth control pills left some women with pituitary tumors because of all the estrogen. So there's been so many assaults. There's been that. There's been um, the whole breast cancer industry. There's been the whole hysterectomy industry. Uh, gosh, it keeps on getting worse and worse, uh, more misogynistic as it goes on. And now we're at the point where we have young women, not women who are like, let's say, postmenopausal or in their, you know, their later years doing these procedures, which I don't agree for regardless. But now we have women who are in their 20s who are getting mastectomy and hysterectomy because they hate being a woman so much. Maybe they were abused Maybe they were, I don't know, something happened to them where they just rejected being being a woman, being a female, and they think the solution to that is to cut off their breasts and to cut out their womb and to make it even more mind-zoggling and more horrifying. Uh, Big Z is now doing some stuff with womb transplants. Now, historically, this was something that was just reserved for women who were born without a uterus who had a birth defect, who wanted to have a womb transplant so they could naturally bear children. Now we have transsexual men who were fetishists and misogynists who are, this article from the Daily Mail is saying, quote, very likely in the near future, claims top fertility experts that womb transplants will be available for men. They're, of course, using the phrase trans woman. There's no such thing as a trans woman. That's like saying so-and-so caught the flu. This is fantasy. I don't like to use fantasy language on the broadcast. So they're already in talks of doing something super vile where a man would get something that they usually call a vagioplasty, which is essentially a penectomy and a removal of the um, 
scrotum where they freeze the sperm for later use. And then they make this hole that they have the audacity to call a vagina. And then they take a healthy donor womb from a woman who's undergone a hysterectomy. And they also take blood vessels from the womb and they surgically insert the womb into the man's body, connecting it to this orifice that they have the chutzpah to call a vagina. And then this uterus that's implanted into a man's body is connected with existing blood vessels that the man has. And then they take some tissue to extend around the womb that was transplanted and stolen from a woman, essentially. And then they put the man on immunosuppressant drugs to stop the womb from being rejected. Because, of course, in nature, this is franken Talmudo sludge, obviously, right? In nature, this is like, I mean, this is like the most cracked out idea I could possibly ever imagine. I mean, I've heard and seen some pretty zoggy things, but I'm just thinking they're probably going to have to, this is so crazy. This is like, to me, this is even crazier than the artificial womb bag that I think I talked about on the broadcast a couple of months ago, the idea of gestating a baby from the beginning in like a womb bag. That's crazy, obviously, but this is even crazier. This is way, way crazier. They could even be getting the wombs from deceased women who are organ donors. No one should ever be an organ donor, by the way. Don't ever sign that on the back of your your license. They can do uh, gnarly stuff where they decide that you're, quote, brain dead, which is not really a real thing, and they can just harvest your organs. Um, it's very, very creepy what they do. It almost sounds like kind of like like a black market for drugs, because that's really what it is. I mean, these these are essentially acting like drugs for, for sick and, and fetishized men, which is, I can't imagine, I don't know anyone in, in real life who would ever want to do something like this, as horrific and Talmudo Franken as this is, <sighs> or taking it from women who have decided that they want to, quote, become men. You could never become the opposite sex. That's that's a pretty obvious thing. And of course, they always use the idea of hermaphrodites, which now they call intersex, to say that sex is on a spectrum. I don't use the word gender, obviously. Sex is not on a spectrum. Sex is binary. binary. It's uh, dimorphic. There's a male penis testicles, woman uterus, ovaries, cervix, period. End of story. But they're using this idea of intersex to create the idea that sex is on a spectrum. An intersex person is still either male or female. They just have some chromosomal disorder where they physically, uh, their face and their body as well as their genitals kind of looks not like someone who's fully cooked as male or female. So in the future, there's probably going to be something as a first ever male pregnancy and I'm assuming they're going to all have to be induced C-sections because how in the world would you be able to pass a baby through um, an orifice where the penis used to be? And let's think about the health and the psychology of a child. Like imagine the child, like what type of child this would grow up to be that's born under these conditions. I mean, it's bad enough when a child is conceived via IVF or IUI, that's that's weird enough and that's very displacing. It's almost like a, a different form of adoption, even if it's biological heterosexual parents of the same race. I'm against all of all of this type of stuff. But this is, I mean, just think about 
the trauma that's going to be. Plus, what if this individual is taking hormones for the opposite sex, synthetic hormones? I mean, I'm not in favor of hormones for any of this stuff, whether it's HRT, postmenopausal, whether it's testosterone therapy for men. This is all a sign that something at the root is not right, and we're not going to fix that by covering it up the way Big Z is like. Big Z likes to take all the problems and just brush them under the carpet. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's not. But this is some really, really horrifying stuff. End of times type of stuff. So remember, honor the natural cycles out there. Uh, whether you're cycling or not, even if you're a man, honor these natural cycles. Never accept any of this Talmudo Frankenstein stuff. Reject it hardcore. And... Um, that's all I have to say for this little clip honoring the yin. I'll be back soon. Enjoy the day. Sat